Welcome back to the Back Country PA Podcast. I'm your host, Cody. And on this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Randy Ferguson, the executive director of Hunter Sharing the Harvest. Before we get to the episode, our partners that support the podcast and make hunting a little more affordable for us as well as for you guys. XOP, OnX, Habit Outdoors, Our Grounds Comfort Company, Forget Genetics, and Grim Ripper Broadheads. If you want to save some money on any of these products, go down to the description of the podcast and use that discount code. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. If you don't know what it is, you will after this podcast because we talk all about it we talk about how it benefits everyone um how hunters really are coming together to feed the hungry really i mean the venison is a delicacy we can't you can't just buy it anywhere um there there are certain licenses i guess where you can buy it at certain places um but i'm not familiar with those licenses but it's a great organization we talk all about it we talk about how they blew it out of the water this year um and i have a prediction that it's going to be even bigger this coming year because of you guys because of our listeners and because of anyone else who knows about hunter sharing the harvest there they work with the game commission that part of the game commission but they work hand in hand with the game commission it was also talking to brandy and hearing all about hunter sharing the harvest really highly recommend you guys go check them out maybe i want to hold you guys accountable i'm going to try and donate a deer this year i'm going down to north carolina uh, I think it's I can get two buck and a doe. So I'm gonna if I can fill all three of those tags, or if I get a buck and a doe down there, I am going to donate one of those deer. Also, if I get a doe, two doe up here, I'm gonna donate one of those doe to Hunter Share in the Harvest. I'm putting it out there right now, and I want to challenge you guys to donate a deer as well. Um, it's a great organization, like I said, and I highly recommend you go check them out on Instagram or even on Facebook. This is something we love to do as hunters. We like to keep venison for ourselves, but also we like to share the, the good stuff that we get. Remember to keep hunting, keep fishing, keep your tradition, and always enjoy the freaking process. program that's really been around here in Pennsylvania now for 32 years. Uh, the heart of our mission is a social service that we're providing to the public. 30 or 35 states have some form of venison donation program. Last year's venison donation numbers, so in the 2022-23 hunting season, we had 235,532 pounds of venison that were donated statewide, over 6,200 deer. Randy, first of all, I'm Cody. So we've been going back and forth email a little bit. So Randy, you want to introduce yourself to the, me and the listeners, who you are, maybe how you got into hunting and how you got started at Hunter Sharing the Harvest. Sure, absolutely. My name is Randy Ferguson, and I'm the executive director of Hunter Sharing the Harvest. Uh, HSH is a program that's really been around here in Pennsylvania now for 32 years. And it was one of the first in the nation where a group of people actually came together and tried to formally organize this uh, this whole idea of hunters donating venison to others in need. And it was something that, uh, you know, a number of different game wardens at the time were sort of doing just on their own, kind of not under any sort of specific umbrella, but just within their own communities, you know, if they confiscated deer or something like that, um, they would go ahead and make sure that some local needy family uh, would receive that venison. 
Uh, but the gentleman, the two gentlemen that, that founded the organization, one's name is John Plowman, and he's uh, he was the executive director until two years ago when I took over. And he's kind of, he's retired, but he still works with us. And thankfully, he's still available for me to get on the phone with and email back and forth with so that he can uh, keep me in line and make sure I'm doing everything I need to for this organization. But uh, he and a friend, Kenny Brandt, uh, founded the organization and and really kind of formalized things. John was a an employee of the Game Commission. Uh, Ken Brandt was very involved politically and so forth. So between the two of them, they really had the connections they needed to start to build a network to support an organization like this. And really, to make a long story short, the rest of its history. I mean, 32 years later, we've gone through an awful lot of growth and a lot of just educating the public about what hunter sharing the harvest is all about and how to donate deer and so forth and the the popularity of the program just continues to expand you know when when the program first began they were probably moving maybe a thousand two thousand pounds of deer at best and they probably were really happy with that back in the day Mm -hmm. and over time we started to develop a a goal of a hundred thousand pounds well we broke that goal probably 10, 12 years ago, to be honest with you. And ever since then, it just seems like every year we keep raising that bar. And last year was uh, a record setting year. We just blew it out of the water. I should say Pennsylvania hunters blew it out of the water because that's, that's what makes this whole thing happen. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I honestly did not know about hunters during the harvest until like maybe two years ago. Like it's, it's one of those things that kind of goes under the radar a little bit. Like it's not a huge, like it's a, it's a big program. But yet also there's not like a lot of advertisement for it unless you like you read your game book and you, you know, go to a deer processor or something like that. There's usually flyers there. There's something in the Game Commission book like it's it's on Game Commission website. But I mean, it's one of those things that isn't like in the hunting community, like the hunters themselves don't talk about it and we don't spread the news about it. And I think that that does have to change. Like it, we have to talk about it because... Like we had a, a guest on, like he, he shot 23 deer and it's like, okay, you donate some of that obviously, but yet you're not talking about it. Like, let's talk about that. Like you killed 23 right. deer, you harvested 23 deer, whatever you want to say, but you donate a lot of that meat because there's no way a family eats 23 deer. It's impossible. I got one right. doe and it's almost all gone. Now, I will admit that. <laughs> Yeah. And that's just it. You know, as I travel around the state, uh, you know, I'm talking about what we do and and I generally get one of two responses. It's either kind of that blank stare that's like, oh, I didn't realize Pennsylvania had any kind of venison donation program Mm -hmm. or it's the hunter who has donated in the past. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know all about it. I've donated five or six deer now over the years and so forth, you know, but it's one or the other, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, we look at the opportunity of everything and the and the opportunity to educate people about this mission. You know, we're looking at historic donation numbers here, but yet those donation numbers still only represent one and a half, two percent of the total deer harvest in Pennsylvania. So there's tremendous opportunity for that for us to, you know, inform people about what we're doing and just continue to grow. So that's that's what's really exciting for us. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you've always got you know, you've always got all the challenges that come with growth and kind of the way this whole program works is that we we reimburse our participating processors for their processing fees. Uh, so that's that's the way, quite frankly, that the hunter is able to donate the deer and not have to have any financial obligation there. Uh, but we foot the bill for that. So as those donations go up, our expenses go up. And so it's just a 
a continual beating of the drum there to educate people about the program and then also to really solicit sponsors and supporters that want to get behind us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, like, if if you're an avid hunter, if you're passionate about it, you have all these stands, you have all this equipment, all that kind of stuff, you're not a family that really is in need, per se, of that meat. So, like, if you get a buck down and a doe down, that's great because that's that's meat you can't buy at a grocery store, right? Like, you can't get it anywhere. Like, you can buy maybe jerky, venison jerky, they say, but, like, I don't know if that's actually venison, yep. to be honest with you. But, like, you can't sell it at grocery stores. You can't sell it at meat markets. Certain meat markets, I'm still confused about that. I like to know how that happens. Of Certain meat markets can sell venison, which I think there's, like, a certain type of license you need for that. I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah, there would be specific licensing, and I don't really know the details of that, but my guess is that when you're finding deer at a retail location, that's coming from probably a deer farm where that would fall under more of like a USDA type of inspection where they might have a retail license that would allow them to sell that because of the fact that it wasn't a wild harvested deer. Um, So my guess is that's where you're going to see any venison at at a retail location. Okay, that makes that makes a lot more sense now. And that's kind of like in the back of my head, I was like, okay, maybe that's why, but wasn't 100% sure. So going back to that, like if you're a guy who lives in Philly, like you can get pretty much unlimited doe tags, like unlimited. Now, all throughout the state, it's like you can get have a max of six on you at a time. So you, you're not, if you kill all six deer, you're not going to eat all six. Like there's, there's a possibility right. you could if you made every single meal out of venison, but I mean, venison's good, but sometimes if you eat it for every single meal, you're going to get sick of it. I think like, it's going to be like, you can only, you can do a lot with it, but you can only do so much with it. Honestly, like, right. Right. And, and here's the other side to that too. If you think about it now, a lot of, a lot of folks are processing their own deer and that's awesome. And that's a, that's a great way to save some money when you're doing that. But if you're taking it to a processor and you've got six deer, I mean, the average around the state for, for a regular cut uh, of a deer is pushing a hundred dollars, sometimes more than a hundred dollars. And that's before you're doing back straps and special roasts and everything else, or making a hot stick or something like that. So yeah. you could have six, $800 wrapped up in those six deer, you know? Yeah. Uh, so if you've got more than you can use, I'll pay for it and we'll make sure it gets to somebody <laughs> that can, uh, that can really use that meat. So sounds like a, uh, like one of those car commercials where you say, Hey, we got the cheapest deals. Come on down. I'll pay for it. Yeah, bring me all your deer, your small deer, your little deer, your does, your bucks. I'll pay for them. Top we want dollar. them all. <laughs> so when you were telling about how like most people don't know about PA and they have a donation plan. And all like, so do other states have a like a hunter sharing the harvest type plan where they can donate as well? Yeah, there's a lot of states that do. I, I think it the most recent numbers I've heard are somewhere around 30 or 35 states have some form of venison donation program. Now, the interesting thing there is there's no there's no overarching national organization of these programs uh, because they're all run a little bit different. Like right. here in Pennsylvania, we're a standalone 501c3 charitable organization. Um, a lot of people assume that we're part of the Game Commission because we work so closely with them. Our logo even kind of resembles the Game Commission logo, you know, so there's a little bit of confusion there, but we are a completely independent organization. Now, in other states, they might be part of their 
Department of Wildlife or their version of like the, the Game Commission. Uh, Tennessee, for instance, is part of the Tennessee Wildlife Federation. So we're all kind of run a little bit differently, um, but we're actually trying to organize a little bit, if you will. We, we, we all get together about once a year and just try to kind of share best practices and talk about what's working and what are the challenges in our individual states. But we're looking to actually kind of formalize ourselves under some kind of uh, organization where we can have a little bit more of a national voice, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because you get that chance and we all communicate throughout the year with emails and phone calls and everything just to kind of commiserate a little bit about some of the things that are frustrating for each of us, like CWD or mm -hmm. declining uh, processor numbers, things like that. Uh, but then we also get to share our success stories and, and talk about things that are working and give each other ideas. Um, but Pennsylvania, I mean, we've really, we've probably been at it about the longest. There were other, there were some other programs that started right around the same time we did. Um, but over the years, a lot of these states have come to us to basically find out how to run a successful venison donation program. So that's really, uh, that's really important to us. And, it, and it's something that we're very proud of. And this year, I, I haven't even told you the big numbers yet, but we just announced last year's venison donation numbers. So in the 2022-23 hunting season, we had 235,532 pounds of venison that were donated statewide. And that's from just over 6,200 deer. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's phenomenal numbers. And from everything that I've heard from my counterparts around the country, Pennsylvania had the highest venison donation numbers in the United States. So that's something for us to really be proud of. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it goes back to the whole heritage thing, right? Like PA is known like a traditional hunting state. Like it has been known as like the rifle state for a long time. Wisconsin and PA are kind of going back and forth with like, who's the real rifle hunters, you know, the orange army strong. I, I think, yeah. I think PA has got them beat, but Wisconsin, they have like, I don't know. They're just different out there. Put it that way. They do a lot of drives. We do a lot of drives here, but it's 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 different. It's very different. But those are big numbers, like huge numbers. Thirty-two years. I mean, that's 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 a lot. And then you said sixty-two hundred deer, but then also I read in that article you sent me it's four elk too, and I'm like, who would donate elk meat? Like what the. <laughs> That's what I said last week at the big uh, event in Harrisburg where we kind of officially announced these numbers. I said, I don't know who gives up an elk, but I'm happy they do because every one of them, you know, we, we get about probably five, six times as much meat from them as, as we would from the average deer. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic when they donate them. I think, you know, sometimes what I've heard from some of our processors is that you know, sometimes you've got so much money wrapped up in the, the tag and the hunt and the guide and the taxidermist and everything else that by the time it comes down to processing the meat, it's like the last priority and it's the last dime you've got left in your wallet. And maybe they say, ah, I'd love to have it, but mm -hmm. I can't spend 300 more dollars or whatever it's going to take to process this. So I'm going to donate it. So we're happy to have them. Uh, you know, elk meat is pretty darn awesome. I just wish we had some moose in this state because I've oh, heard God. moose is really great. So we we could make some people really happy if we had moose. But that, that's <laughs> hey, you get in with a game commission. You know, you're already in there with them. You you talking to them here. You know, maybe buy them a 24 pack, 30 pack of beer. You know, hey, let's let's get some moose in here. You know, there's plenty of room in Clearfield County. That's right. 
time for the moose reintroduction program, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be I because, you know, that wouldn't even be a reintroduction. That would be an introduction. <laughs> that's, right? what, that's what I was going to say. Like, I wonder because I know bison were in here like bison were all over America before. I wonder if like there were some moose in Pennsylvania at some point, like moves, wolves all that kind of stuff like i just it's possible i guess before people were actually here but yeah. you never know but yeah our, I, I don't think our ecosystem in pa here could handle a moose <laughs> no i don't think so i don't think so my, my wife and my family and i spent a year basically the calendar year of 2012 we lived in upstate new york up in st lawrence county which mm-hmm. is up above the adirondack park and uh in that area every now and then they will spot a moose you know and and we didn't see any when we were up there but it was just such a such a cool place to live knowing that you had that environment for them you know you had a lot of those good boggy sort of wetland areas where they could get in there and do their thing and and get comfortable and it's just like you said i just don't know that this far south and and inland like we are that that we could ever hope to do that but uh yeah it'd be a pretty cool species to be able to see in pens woods wouldn't it? it it definitely would i mean it's it's better than having a mountain lion in the pennsylvania woods that's for sure i don't think i'd i don't think if there were grizzly bears and there were mountain lions and there was wolves i don't think i'd be going in the dark at like three o'clock in the morning to walk in the woods yeah right right it would change some of my hunting patterns oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I'd be like, okay, I'll go out of gray light and only during rifle. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so when you talk to these other states, like what have you gained from talking to these other states? Like, I mean, since we were one of the first ones, did you gain anything from these new states coming in and maybe starting their own? like donation service or was it mostly just us just giving out information to them to help them grow? No, there's been a good back and forth exchange. I'd say, I'd say probably overall, there's been more of an information Mm -hmm. outpour from, from Pennsylvania to these folks as they develop their programs. But, but a lot of them are doing some really unique stuff, you know, um, in other States, for instance, uh, some of my counterparts are doing things like they'll, they'll have, uh, some of the folks in like say the the states that have the mississippi river flowing through them for instance they've they've done things like asian carp donations where they have some of these big tournaments or whatever to try and harvest this invasive species and they figured out ways to be able to donate that into their charitable food system and some of the southern states are trying to figure out how to incorporate wild hogs into the equation because obviously they need to they need to encourage people to shoot as many of them as possible. And I keep encouraging them, please figure it out because we don't want them up here, you know, yeah. keep them, keep them down with you. <laughs> but uh, so you, you hear some of the interesting things and uh, some of the folks, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina, just this year started a program that we're kind of looking into, but I'm trying to, trying to figure out all the real logistics and, and, and what would make it work, but they do what they call a, a snack stick program where they'll have uh, a processor or maybe one of these companies that already does some form of snack stick manufacturing, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they'll give up so many of their donated deer to be processed into these snack sticks. And then what they do is obviously those snack snack sticks get uh, 
the donation programs uh, logo on it and a sponsor maybe uh, that might be supporting that program. And then what they do is they put those snack sticks into like the backpack lunch programs for kids uh, that are maybe hungry at home. And they give these kids uh, a couple of bagged lunches to get them through the weekend, you know. And so these snack sticks give them an opportunity to uh, incorporate a good protein source into the uh, to the equation for those kids. And so we're kind of interested in looking into that. I don't know if or when we'll get into that type of thing, because there's an awful lot of logistics that have to take place. And my buddy from Tennessee was telling me how, you know, you got to think about shelf life and make sure that the stuff's going to be safe and they went through a whole lot of renditions of this program before they figured it out, you know, because uh, it's going to be stored in different environments at food banks. You don't know exactly how it's going to be distributed and it can cost quite a bit of money too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but they've made it work. And so I'm trying to look into that and we've got some interest from some groups that might be willing to get behind us and support that if we go down that road. So you might see a pilot program or something like that regionally here somewhere in Pennsylvania, as we try and see if there's some validity to that here in PA, but, but that's the type of cool thing you get when you're able to talk with these other folks because a program like hunter sharing the harvest is so novel that you know within the state i don't exactly have a bunch of people i could just get on the phone with and say hey how do you do this type of thing Mm because it's so unique so when you have that kind of fraternity if you will of people that are involved in this type of thing it really helps to to just feel like you've got a good flow of information back and forth so it only makes us better yeah i mean that that's a really good idea. Put it in the backpacks, you know, like, you know, there's a commercial about like, you know, some kids come home to like no fruits and vegetables, you know, like venison is a great source of protein. Like you said, it's extremely healthy, a lot healthier than saying going to Burger King and getting a burger there. You know, you come home, you have maybe a pre-made burger patty, you know, or you go and you have bologna sandwiches you know all that kind of stuff like it's it's a great idea and then also the whole carp thing like that's brilliant like the asian carp like that's like you know is there something like is that something that you guys might be looking into like especially with the snakeheads you know like because snakeheads apparently are really good yeah it's it's a tough situation because because of the fact that what we're doing and the product, if you will, that we're that we're supplying is going into the public food system. So we have to be extremely careful about the quality of that product. So that's why even within our deer processing network, we need to make sure that they're all inspected, that they have a good, clean, sanitary facility. They've got the cold storage they need to quickly get things cooled down. Um, waste disposal, all of those things that just help us have a a sense of security that that everything's being handled the way it should. So when you start getting into things like people being able to to donate fish or Mm -hmm. even ducks or geese or something like that, which there are some states that have figured out a way to do that. But the problem is those are all going to be processed by the hunter in some fashion. And then you've got to rely on that process and be comfortable with it going into the food system. So I'm actually kind of interested in learning some more from these mm-hmm. guys about how they're doing that. Um, because I don't know how much of that is kind of on a wing and a prayer, if you will, like, like they're just hoping there's no issues with it, but you know, somewhere in there, you know, as much as as none of us really like to have any more regulation of things than we need in a case like this, you really 
you know, if you're if you're buying things at the store, even you and I, who may or may not like like too much regulation of our lives, we want to make sure that meat's been inspected by somebody. You know, you're not mm-hmm. going to buy something that doesn't have that inspection. So by the same token, we want to make sure that that person that's accepting a free meal and really doesn't even have so much that option uh, to at least feel safe that what they're getting from us is is perfectly healthy. So that's where the biggest challenges are. You know, there's a lot of logistics, but then it's always the uh, uh, the public safety concern that that's first and foremost to me. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point because I mean, I had someone who shot a pheasant. Yeah, someone who shot a pheasant, and like I got a BB. Like you don't want that going to like a kid like it's or an adult that doesn't know anything about hunting. It's like, Oh, why would I want to take this free meal? Like I I don't want to go back and take this free meal. If I have a BB in my food and you know, you might chip a molar or something like that. Like BBs aren't easy to chew on, you know, it's, it's, they're pretty dangerous if you swallow them, like depending if it's a lead one or whatever, like it's, you know, some people use lead ones and they're not supposed to, but they do because, Right. They don't want to follow the rules sometimes, but you know, that is a danger. And then also you have like for the fish you have, okay, so what if they f- swallow the hook? What if they do this? What if they do that? Like, and there is good danger with that. And now with deer, there's a whole nother thing with CWD. So like, how do you, how do you manage that? Like, the, yes, there's no case study right now that shows that CWD affects humans in any way right now, but you know, it's a concern, yep. obviously, like it's a chronic wasting disease. It's a disease for the deer that actually has, they die from it. If they go crazy, they walk in circles, you know, right. we got to put them down. So how do you, how does that, how is that managed on hunting sharing the harvest side? Like, is it managed by the butchers or how's that managed? It's really kind of a combination of the butcher us as an organization and the hunters really because what we've done is we've adopted a policy all along now you and i if we and and some of those rules are changing now with this upcoming season about being able to move deer out of the dmas but let's say you or i harvest a deer in a dma and we take it to a processor in that dma we're not required by law to have a head test because of the fact that you know there haven't been any uh connections made to human health by by eating deer uh, that were affected by CWD. It's obviously good practice for us to have them inspected or uh, tested before Mm -hmm. we consume them. But what we did, again, because of the fact that at the end of the day, we have to keep reminding ourselves that as much as we consider ourselves sort of a a hunting and conservation organization, uh, the heart of our mission is a social service Mm -hmm. that we're providing to the public. So what we did with CWD is we adopted a policy early on that says any deer that's donated in a DMA has to have the head, t- head test done and get a negative test result before that meat can be released into the food system. So it creates a couple of challenges, obviously, in those DMAs, because now a processor that wants to participate with us in one of the DMAs has to have enough cold storage space to qu- quarantine the venison from each one of those deer that are harvested and that are waiting on a head test to come back. And that can be a real problem with a lot of these guys because they're getting kind of overwhelmed to begin with on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday with deer. So we need to have them set those aside, wait however long it takes to get a head test back. And then the responsibility, just like it would be with you and I, is that the hunter has to be the one to take that head, deposit it in one of the head collection bins. He's the one, he or she is going to be communicated back with 
uh, from the lab, letting them know about the test results, then that communication has to be made with the processor so that the processor knows it's safe to release it. So it's just kind of logistically, it's created a mess for us, but we stick to that policy because at the end of the day, again, like I was telling you earlier, we know then and we can stand behind the fact that that no deer that's being donated in a DMA is going into the food system that tested positive for CWD, even though that hunter on their own could choose to keep it. And that's usually what would probably happen in one of those cases if it does have a negative or a positive result come back. If the hunter chooses to take it home at that point, they can, uh, or it's just gonna be disposed of quite frankly. But now with the, uh, the changes, with being able to now take deer that were harvested in a DMA out of the DMA to another approved processor, which I think they're just, they're still kind of, the game commission is still in the process of identifying all of those processors mm -hmm. around the state and kind of certifying them and developing a list and everything. It creates, uh, it's a good thing for the hunters for sure, because, you know, if you live in Allegheny County, but you harvest a deer uh, around Somerset in the middle of the DMA, you've got to leave that deer somewhere in the DMA to be processed while you go back to Pittsburgh or wherever you live, wait a month or so, then have to travel back to pick it up. So now the new rules are going to allow you to take that deer out of the DMA as long as you're careful with all of the high risk parts and so forth. Um, so that opens up a lot of good options for the hunters. It's also good for a lot of our processors, especially the ones along the, uh, the state lines who are now gonna be able to accept deer that they couldn't in the past, you know, so it's good for their business. For us, it's gonna create a little bit of a challenge now because processors that for these last five, six years or however long it's been since we've had this policy in place, they really haven't had to worry about it because the deer that they're getting are all from their area, not in a DMA. So now we're gonna have to be asking those folks that are on that approved list to make sure that they're also quarantining deer while we wait for a head test. So there's gonna be some challenges for us, but, uh, but again, it's a good thing for the hunters. It's a good thing for the processors in general and the game commission. So we'll figure out a way around it. That's how mm -hmm. we roll here. You know, we, we find a way to make it work so that, uh, so that everybody can still participate as much as possible, but we will have some challenges this year when it comes to CWD. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, with the number of pounds you guys got last year, you, you got to work around it somehow. Like if you want to keep growing, you got to work. I mean, CWD is just, it's a speed bump. Almost every state you look at, you have different diseases coming up, EHD, you know, Ohio, you know, there's CWD in almost every, almost every state, I would say, probably in some part, some amount, you know? So, I mean, that, that's what yeah, I was thinking yeah. also with, you know, with the elk, the elk they're donated. I'm like, maybe, you know, to cross a, the border, you know, you can't trans, transport a full body across the border it has to be like cut up in the, in the cooler or whatever. Maybe they just don't have time, you know, like, especially if it's during that rifle, that second, that mid second week of, of elk here in PA, it's only a week long. So say you get it the last day, you don't have time to butcher that elk up. Like that's a big animal to butcher up. So that could lead right. to that because I know if you go to New York, you can't bring it into PA here. I went out to Illinois last year. If I got a deer out there, I couldn't bring it out of Illinois because of where it's at with EHD. I couldn't do that. So like going yeah. down to North Carolina next year, I can't take it out of there. I can't leave the state with it. It's every state is like that now where you can't leave or cross the border with a deer. So, I mean, it's making it harder for out of state hunters to come here, which makes it more 
reasonable to donate to Hunter Sharing the Harvest because, you know, okay, so they don't get a deer. They get a deer here. Most likely they want to try and get a buck because PA, we're getting, we're getting some hammers up here in PA. Put it that way. Like we're getting some big deer. I, right. I've seen them on camera. Just, I mean, I have 18 cameras out right now and I have like, there's a good amount of big buck I have on camera. It's like, okay, here we go. This is, this yeah. is what we're about right now. Big deer in PA. They're, they're yeah. far, far from those spikes that my grandfather always talked about. <laughs> but you know, like when you come out, when you go out of state, you yeah. want that buck. You don't want to go get a doe, all that kind of stuff. So like you're there for the experience, the right. trophy, and maybe the meat if you can butcher it up in time. But if you can't, you have Hunter sharing the harvest instead of just like saying to some random guy, hey, you want this. Donate to Hunter sharing the harvest because that's yeah. the best way to go about it. That's how you get this 235,000 pounds of meat. Like that's a lot. Absolutely. And that's what I tell people too. Even folks that might be interested or they know someone maybe that they could donate the deer to or they know of a local food pantry or someone that they could donate deer to. I tell them, you know, go ahead and do that. But if you take it to one of our participating processors, first of all, you're not going to have to pay for the processing yourself. Mm -hmm. And then if nothing else, those numbers now get captured, you know, because otherwise, how do you quantify all those good, well-intentioned hunters around the state that might be giving deer individually to families or whatever? Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic that they're doing it. But when we, when we do something like that through, an organization or a system like ours, because obviously there's no, there's no monetary gain for us to have people donating deer. It costs us money to have them donate deer, but that's what we want them to do because now, just like we were talking about with these high numbers and when the, when people look at the hunger situation around the country and they start trying to give credibility to programs like these venison donation programs, now we have the numbers and we can say, look at this, you can't, you can't turn your head from these numbers. We are feeding people in mm -hmm. significant volumes around the country by having these programs. So, so it's all good. However, anybody wants to donate a deer, but when you run it through our program, then you know that those numbers are being captured and they're going to have some meaning out there to people. And, you know, when we look at how many mouths are fed around the state each year, based on our numbers, it's staggering. I mean, the, the 235,000 pounds, we use a, a calculation that's based on the American Heart Association's recommendation of like three to four ounces of lean red meat in a serving. So you do the math on that, 235,000 pounds puts you at well over a million servings of venison that are being served. So then you take that and you picture all of these soup kitchens and food pantries around the state where people are waiting in line, sometimes blocks long to receive this food, it really has an impact. And, and for the hunting community, it's a, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous social service that they're, that they're performing on behalf of people that they don't even know. Uh, so it's just, it's really, it's really heartwarming. And, mm -hmm. and for me being in this position, the last two years, I tell people it's, it's by far the best gig I've ever had. And I've had some pretty cool jobs over the years in marketing and PR, but you know, now instead of worrying about market share and profit margins and things like that, I'm looking at, I'm looking at numbers of pounds and how many people are we helping? And, you know, those are the things that, uh, that mean the most to me now. And it's just, it's phenomenal working for this organization. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the coolest thing. Like my, my father-in-law, he owns a barbecue joint. So he's out of the West shore farmer's market. 
I'm going to plug it right now. DJ Smoke Shack. If anyone's listened, go check it out. Great, great food. Great food. Um, actually, my daughter has a sandwich there made for. Um, it's called the, uh, oh, what is it? It's just called the Raylan. That's all it is. It's like a, uh, oh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of what actually is on it. But it's a good good place. Um, but he does the uh, he does some disaster relief. So like in Kentucky, he drove down there when they had that big hurricane. You know, it was on, it was on the news for like a week, and no, then you didn't hear about it. So he went down there, and he did that. Like it's it just, it makes you feel good, you know. And then he got donations out of everywhere. Like he just posts like, "Hey, I'm going out to Kentucky." If no one donated, he was still gonna go down. You know, that's the coolest thing. And that's yeah. the same thing with Hunter sharing the harvest. Like, you don't know who that deer's going to, but you know that you're helping someone. You're helping someone who needs it. You're feeding a family. One deer. I, I like. Do you know off the top of your head? how much one deer can feed, like how many meals come out of one deer or how many meals it'll, it'll feed a family, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Across the board, um, the average yield in ground burger from a deer, again, on average mm-hmm. is about 35 pounds, pushing 40 pounds. That's pretty typical of what you get. You know, a lot of folks, I think when they when they have their deer processed and they get that one box of meat, they're like, oh, man, where'd all the meat go? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that even a nice size Pennsylvania deer that might yeah. be going 160, 175 or something like that is still on average, only going to yield about a quarter of that at best in, in finished venison. So at any rate, um, when you figure an average size deer being around 35 pounds, and again, you use that multiplier, which is basically five point something when you're when you're basing it on three ounces uh, in a serving, that means that on 35 pounds, you're getting somewhere like around 200 servings out of that one deer. So that's phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. you figure that one deer could potentially be doing a whole evening's feeding at a local lo- local soup kitchen where maybe about 200 people would come through that line in a night. That's one deer. Wow. We had 6,000 of them donated. That Those are the type of numbers that when you start really crunching it in your head, you're thinking, wow, I mean, we are really making a difference. This is no small potatoes here at all. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, you know, I never really thought of it like that. I never really tried to crunch numbers because I'm not a, like, I'm, I work with numbers, but I'm not a numbers guy, if that makes sense at all. Like, I, I just, I hate numbers. <laughs> I'm in the same way. I look at, I look at things like the, uh, the game commission's uh, formulas on how yeah. they figure out the deer harvest. And I'm thinking, you know what? I trust you guys, but I could never fact check you because <laughs> that's way too much algebra or whatever the hell that is they Absolutely. use to figure that out. <laughs> The numbers I can handle are ones like this, where you know it's a pretty simple calculation yeah. when you really get down to it. That's that's why I went into a. Uh, that's why I got a uh, a degree in uh, communications mm-hmm. instead of engineering or something like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was I was always good at math in high school. Like I would always get like straight A's in math class, but like I always hated it. Like I just do it and be done with it, and then I just never followed through yeah. with that after because I just I it was like I don't want to do math. Like I don't want to be a, I could, I feel like I could be right. a great math teacher, but I don't want to be a math teacher. You know, it just, it'd be boring. Right. So, but anyway, what was yep. I, what yep. was I even going at with that? Yep. I, I, <laughs> so that, you, you know, you hear those numbers and that's just, that's baffling. Like it, it can feed an entire soup kitchen. Like that, that means like, so back to the average hunter again, you know, you, you don't, we as hunter yet as hunters, yes, we'd love deer meat. But do we need it? 
do we need the deer meat? Like people who actually need this deer meat need it. Like they're going to soup kitchens because they need that. Like we don't, I, me and my family, we don't go to soup kitchens because we don't need it. Like I have maybe, I think three more bags of venison from my dough I got this year. And it's like, we can use it sparingly. Like I don't need to be like, okay, we have to eat. We need to spread this three bags out to last until the season. Like that would never work, you know? So then you, you, you think yep. about it like, okay, so if I get a buck and a dough down, that's great. If I want to donate that dough, or donate the buck meat, whatever. Like it's, 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 I'm, if I get two deer down, donate the one you don't need. It's not a need for us as, as people who can afford to go to the grocery store and buy the meat or buy chicken or whatever, like donate that meat for people who actually need it. Yeah. Most of us, I think, you know, we're putting that deer in our freezer and we're going to consume it. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's not, it's not typically, out of a financial need it's more the satisfaction of the hunt and knowing that you're consuming something that that you harvested yourself so it feels good to us and it makes sense in that way um but like you said once we've once we've satisfied that need uh there are a lot of people we can help with the excess and and one of the things we've noticed and i think it might even kind of you know if you were to look at hunting trends over the last three years you know uh, the COVID year of 2020, 21, you know, there were a lot more people hunting because first of all, they had the opportunity to hunt because they were working from home. So it's a lot easier to slip it out, is. maybe do a little hunting for a couple hours when you're not in an office. Yep, but uh, I, I've been there. <laughs> but in addition, people, people were more, I guess you'd say in a giving mood mm-hmm. because they saw people were struggling from COVID and, and everything that came along with it and the financial impact. So that's why, we really thought maybe we had achieved a record that that would be very hard to break any time when we hit 190,000 pounds that that hunting season. But then last year, the numbers came in at 187,000 pounds. So it was mm-hmm. barely even, you know, it was almost not even a, a noticeable drop from the year before. And then we come into a year like this, you know, basically two years removed from from the height of the, the COVID pandemic. And we've got absolutely record smashing numbers you know i mean it's just tremendous so you know the more we can communicate about the program and let people know that it's out there and let them kind of do that reasoning on their own to figure out if it makes sense for them and and how they can contribute uh i think the program's just going to continue to to grow and help more people absolutely yeah so that that, that's crazy you think you would have had more donated during that covid year like honestly because like you said like people can leave work early they had more time to put in the woods you know find out where whatever deer you're after you know find out where they are all that kind of stuff i mean do you think maybe because there was a lot of that quote-unquote shortages of things like people were afraid that meat was going to go short that they just stockpiled all these deer that they harvested. Maybe that's why, because they put them in the freezer. And then you just had the, the hunters that did it on a regular basis, you know, like those ones donated. Like I, that's what I'm thinking is like, people were afraid that meat was going to become short and, you know, meat price were going to skyrocket. Yeah. I think that was part of it. But then again, you know, that 2020, 21 hunting season, when they donated 190,000 pounds, that was a record that year. So mm-hmm. uh, it was already on the grow and it's continued to grow. But yeah, I think the pandemic had a lot of people more concerned about putting meat in their freezer. They were mm-hmm. trying to find alternative options, you know, uh, 
the cost of of goods and and products that we buy in the store have have been increasing over the years they've they've started to maybe level off just a little bit now but boy we look at some of the price increases we've seen on things that we use every day just over the last couple of years and it's it's not hard to see why there would be more people in need of services like this and feeding pennsylvania and some of the other hunger relief organizations here in the state have been able to quantify the fact that the numbers of people that are considered food insecure in pennsylvania have risen starkly over these last couple of years since the pandemic so the need is definitely there and quite frankly the solution is there too because of the fact that we've got so many uh, additional tags that can be filled now so it's really just about getting that it's it's the education it's the uh basically being a, an advocate for the program among your friends like you were saying mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's just because we don't necessarily talk about things yep. or someone who does a donation just for the same reasons you and i don't don't always go on social media and say hey i just gave 25 dollars to this fundraiser you know look at me you don't want it to look like an ego thing when yep. you help other people you just want to kind of quietly do that and let it happen which is a totally respectful thing. But at the same time, in an organization like this, where we really depend on people spreading the word about the opportunity, we want you to, we want you to crow a little bit about it and say, Hey, this is an organization I just helped out. You can do the same thing. Uh, Here's how easy it is to do. It doesn't cost you anything and you're going to help people around you. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just all about spreading that word. And I think when we look at why the numbers have gone up so much uh, just in these last couple of years, especially, I think a lot of that comes down to even just the support of the game commission itself, because they've got a real communication vehicle there and they've been growing quite a Mm -hmm. communications and marketing team there. That's doing a great job of talking about all the different programs that, that the game commission is involved with. And as part of that, they've been very, very supportive of our program. They've donated a lot of social media time and posts to our program. They've shot videos at events for us. You know, they do give us that great ad in the digest each year. The game commission has given or the uh, the game news has given us an ad in there mm-hmm. each fall for the last couple of years. And that gets tremendous readership. So, you know, that's helping drive things. I think, uh, one of the things that's helped us even in the past couple of years more and more is you've got a lot of these communities, like you mentioned, the Philly area and mm-hmm. say some of the suburb areas where they've got deer population issues, but you can't hunt them traditionally uh, with a rifle or anything. So a lot of them have developed community herd reduction operations or calls uh, where maybe the USDA or someone or maybe a private group like one of the bow hunting organizations might be contracted to go in there and reduce that deer herd. And in a lot of those cases, we've been able to get those deer donated uh, to our participating processors. So those calls around the state that are happening in probably 10 or 12 different places that I can think of right off the bat are also helping drive our donation numbers up. And a lot of times there's a PR value to that, too, because a lot of times in those communities, you know, people are <laughs> they're kind of fickle. They're, they're fed up with the deer. They don't like seeing them uh, browsing on their shrubs and their flowers in their flower beds. But at the same token, they don't want to see them getting shot and killed. So there's a yeah. there's there's sometimes a, a real push pull situation going on there. And 
one thing that we found over the years is that sometimes when that type of operation is being considered, when we can talk about the fact that those deer are going to get donated, and if, say, uh, the reduction goal in a, in, a, in a community is 200 deer, and we can put those numbers to it, just like you and I were talking about, and show them how many people are going to be fed at their own local food banks and food pantries, that can help kind of turn that public opinion uh, in favor of moving forward with something like that. So again, you're helping deal with the herd management issue and performing a social service at the same time. That would be a good, I mean, this could, that would be a great idea for someone who's trying to get gain permission. Say you're trying to gain permission to someone's property and you have a hunter sharing the harvest pamphlet, be like, Hey, any deer or harvest on here, I want to donate it to hunter sharing the harvest. You know, if they're damaging your property or anything like that, be like, Hey, I only want to hunt archery here, no rifle, but I'm going to donate the deer to Hunter Sharing the Harvest. You know, after I get my first one, then I'm everything after that is Hunter Sharing the Harvest. You know, you could do that. I mean, that would be yep. a great way to kind of break the ice and someone would be like, oh, what's what's Hunter Sharing the Harvest? You know, then you explain it to them and be like, hey, this, we donate deer. You, like, you donate deer to the hungry. You know, one deer can feed a whole soup kitchen. Like it, it's, that would be like, yeah. be like wow, really? You know, it's a great conversation starter and icebreaker. And then they also find out about it where they'd be like, okay, now I can allow more hunters on my property because I know it's going to do a good cause. Absolutely. And we've had some groups like UBP and some others that have done some hunts where they kind of have a deal with their members that says, you know, either your first deer or one of the deer that are harvested during this hunt are going to go to HSH. And so they've done that for years now, different organizations. And that's been that's been super helpful for us, too. And there are there's some groups around the state. Um, Cameron County has a great association. It's called the uh, Cameron County Outdoor Youth Association. But what they do is they have a doe hunt every fall uh, for kids. And a lot of times these are kids that maybe haven't had the exposure to hunting or maybe they're just from a family that's maybe broken or they don't have uh, mentors that have ever introduced them to hunting. So they get to be a part of this organization, learn about hunting, and then they have this doe hunt and all the deer that are harvested during that doe hunt get donated to Hunter Sharing the Harvest. And my wife and I went up there last fall and spent the weekend with them while they were doing the hunt. And it was just phenomenal looking at these young kids because they were getting inspired to hunt. They were getting inspired to uh, to be involved in conservation. And can you imagine a kid at that age when you and I were little, were we, were we even thinking, would it have been on our radar to donate the deer, let someone else have that deer that I just harvested? Not a chance. No. So these kids are getting taught a real selfless act at an early age mm -hmm. that's going to carry through with them as they become an adult hunter and start to inspire other people. So organizations like that, I think are just, I mean, the R3 movement and everything that's trying to encourage people to adopt a lifestyle that has to do with the outdoors and conservation and however that might be, whether mm -hmm. it's hunting, fishing, just being involved in the outdoors, it's all so important. Uh, and so, I think for us, again, that will eventually trickle down to more and more donations. The more people we get engaged in the outdoors and the hunting pursuits and and wanting to help each other out. Yeah, I mean, that is that is awesome to know that there's a group out there that's getting the young the ne young generation involved that they have no connection in the outdoors. Like, they have, they have nothing. They have no reason to be there. And they're getting them involved because they have this little bit of interest in it, which they go out and they, they donate the deer. Like... I imagine they get the taste of venison. They at least 
they come together and they used to have one deer that they could taste. Like that would be like, that's probably how you get them hooked, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, I make a meal for them and then take them out and be like, Hey, we're going to donate this deer. You still go through the whole hunt. You go through the whole process, but you get to donate a deer and you get to feel good on the, in, on the inside altogether. You get to be happy that you were able to exactly. go out in the woods and you harvested this animal by yourself. You're feeding a family. You watch the whole process. Probably, they might even go to the butcher shop and watch them do that like that to see the whole process from start to finish and know that you had a big hand in it like that. That's just, that's fantastic, honestly. And there are so many groups that are starting to do that type of thing. It's really encouraging when you look Mm -hmm. at this whole, this whole R3 movement to kind of re-engage people or introduce them to the outdoors. One of our HSH board members, Rose Moore up in Tioga County, who she's kind of a celebrity in and of her own right, because she was on season eight of Alone a couple of years ago. and, And she's had a very, very active social media presence over the years. But she started a foundation here about a year, year and a half ago called This Is My Quest. And her whole her whole mission is to reach out to women and minorities and young people and get them interested in the outdoor experience. And she immerses them in everything from hunting and fishing to learning how to uh, to gather edible plants for yourself or prepare food. She's actually developed her own uh, butchering program that now this coming fall for folks in Tioga is going to be one of our participating processors, but she'll be, you know, obviously the young kids can't do it because there are rules against them being able to handle <laughs> knives and process deer. Yeah. Um, but she'll be teaching them through that process and women and folks that, that just, again, haven't had that exposure to things that maybe we've all taken for granted and been a part of since we were little kids. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's phenomenal to know that there are people like that that are out there trying to help, expose people to the outdoors and you look at the game commission has uh, an r3 coordinator uh national deer association has a, a grassroots uh coordinator and they have a field to fork program that's mm-hmm. talking to people about this whole thing and obviously that's not all about donating venison but at the end people are going to make decisions about how they want to to use the deer that they've harvested but uh it's just phenomenal. The more you get to see how many people around the state are really trying to uh, shore up this this kind of decline that we've seen in, in the hunting population over the years. Oh, yeah. I mean, the one thing I think that always grinds my gears, because I had a cabin in Clinton County, people would buy doe tags and just throw them out. Like, that would be, like, that just, I hate that, and I hate that. I still see people posting about that, too, like on Facebook, Instagram. Oh, I'm going to buy a doe tag and just throw it out. We need to stop killing the does. It's like, if you stop doing that, you're not controlling the population. Like it's, it's going to be an overwhelming population. You want these big buck. You want, you like seeing these big buck, but like to have big buck, you need to have less doe. Like it, a buck's not going to fight over a doe for food. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. So that's one thing that irritates me with that. Yeah. Mark Nail just had a a good story in Outdoor News here just in the last week or so. And it was basically an opinion piece, but it was him talking about the fact that, you know, everybody speaks from their own perspective. I mean, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old. So 38, 40 years now that I've been hunting and pretty much I've only hunted on the farm I grew up on because that's my place. That's where I want to hunt that I, I feel out of sorts hunting anywhere else, although I've got a lot of places I'd love to go hunting in the state. But for me to stand there and say, ah, we don't have a lot of doe 
or yeah, I've got a lot of bucks in here, but not a lot of dough. So I don't want to harvest dough. That's a very myopic kind of view of things. And so when people are encouraging others to do things based on their own experience in their very mm -hmm. small circle of influence or, or very small area, that's not good wildlife management. And the Game Commission, as much as people might like to find fault with them for this, that, or the other thing, uh, they obviously want to manage the herd responsibly. There would be no other, there would be no motivation for them not to want to effectively manage Pennsylvania's deer herd. And we have to trust their scientists to know that we need a certain allocation of deer licenses in able to manage that herd. And, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I don't like seeing people talk about ways to kind of circumvent the system based on their own opinion of whether it's good science or not. Uh, at the end of the day, you really need to trust the experts and know that in the, in the big picture, they have the best interest of the herd in mind. And for you and I, the best thing we can do is make decisions of our own, whether we're going to harvest more deer or not. Yeah, but not try to influence everybody else to 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 follow whatever our opinion is, because they're almost certainly looking at a totally different snapshot of a deer population in their area than what you are, even if they're five miles from you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this is something new. I want to start rapid fire questions. Uh, there's a few questions just for you, not Hunter Shane the Harvest, just pretty much for you. All right. So, OK, public or private. I've always been a private guy. That's okay. that's all I've ever hey. really hunted. Hey. So I I like private lands. There you go. Okay. Uh, rifle or archery? Rifle for me. All right. Backstrap or tenderloin? Mm. Oh, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> it is. I'm probably going backstrap on that one. Oh. I got to harvest a deer first. I've forgotten what a backstrap tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 gonna say tenderloin on that one. Like it's straight because that's usually something I eat right out of the deer. Like once I get it, like we just throw them right on the grill or or deep fry them. One of the two. Like that's what we usually do. It's it's tough to argue with that. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. it's a coin toss. So. All right. So this is. I think this is gonna be. Other than that one, I think this is gonna be a tough one. Depending, like you're you're older than me. Like it's just it's known. All right, you're older than me. <laughs> Um, so you, you want a YouTube channel, YouTube, uh, hunting YouTube channel or a VHS, um, hunting show, which one is your favorite? Hey, I'm a progressive old guy, so I'll take the YouTube channel any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I'm not dad. <laughs> I see my dad would always like, he'd watch like the real tree on like Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And I'd be like, this is, I always thought that's what hunting was. And I think that's. You know, as you progress through life, you find out what really hunting is. Like, you don't just because, like, the only time I shot one out of a cornfield or like a field in general, she was like a, a, I think she was a year and a half old, but like, it was like last light. Like, that's the only one I ever saw in a field. Like, I never saw any other deer just come out in the field on public. Like, it was just, it wasn't real. But then you watch YouTube channels like the Hunting Public right. and all these other channels that are doing public ground and, you know, making their their property better for deer it's more realistic so like i would also go youtube on that on that side now there are some there was one with like jeff foxworthy that i liked watching but it wasn't a real hunting show oh like yeah it was like he dressed like there was a guy dressed as a deer like a buck <laughs> that's that's what i that's like like that's a show i'd watch but up at the cabin it's completely different like i'll watch a vhs up at the cabin the day before i go out for rifle season like that's what i'll do 
But when I'm sitting right, at home, right. it's it's YouTube. I'm not going to pop in a DVD or VHS or <laughs> look up Realtree, like Primo's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I've got a whole stack of VHS tapes out there, but they're actually out in my shop building. I just saw them the other day and I thought, oh, man, I don't even think I've got a working VCR in the house right now. So even if I wanted to watch these, I'd have to go out and try and buy one somewhere. And the kid at Walmart or wherever would be like, VH what? VHS, what is that? So I may never see them again. You know, they'll just be out there in my archives that I'll pass down to future generations for them to try and figure yeah. out what the hell they are. Put them in a museum. There you go. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. So now Hunter Train the Harvest. So where can people donate? How can people get a hold of you? Um, look up maybe um, where they can donate the deer, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, the very easiest answer to that is go to our website. It's real easy to remember. It's sharedeer.org. And on there, you, you we've got answers to every question you might have. So there's a whole area that shows you where the processors are located in your county. There's even an interactive map there. We've got opportunities to donate if you want to help us financially. We've got a listing of all our county coordinators, which is another thing I should throw in real quickly because uh, that's something that I'm also always interested in, in talking to our folks that might want to help us out with kind of that grassroots boots on the ground sort of advocacy for the organization. We've got a lot of county coordinators. We've got 50 or more right now, um, but we can always use more because those are the folks that are going to the local sportsmen's clubs or they're going to the county fair or they're talking at wild game dinners and they're out there promoting the organization. They're the ones that a lot of times are running interference between us and prospective mm -hmm. processors. Um, and then they're also the ones that are usually interfacing with the processors and a lot of times going to pick up venison that's been donating, donated and getting it to the food banks. So I'm the only paid employee of this organization, but we've got this great group of folks that volunteer to help us out. And they really, uh, I can't say enough about them because, you know, one person obviously can't be in every place at once. And so to have a, a great group of people that are out there passionate about the program and just interested in talking about it. And, you know, we understand they're volunteers. We've all got lives. So we just ask of, of those people as much as you're, able to give so if you have time on your hands and you have those connections through your local club or whatever then by all means we'd like to to talk to you about being a coordinator for us but so you know i don't, I don't even know i got off on a tangent there on the coordinator thing i forget what i was answering you now, no Cody. no you 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 told me where you told him where to go to donate deer all that kind of good shit and then it's it's what we what we need yep. to hear right yep. so that that's Randy, yep, it, has that's been, right. it has been awesome talking to you. Like, this was a great conversation, great podcast. I think people are going to learn a lot from it. I think you're going to blow 235,532 pounds out of the water. I'm going to say you're going to have 300,000 300, pounds. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it out there. It's going to happen. All right. All right. <laughs> it's, it's been committed now, so it's going to have to happen. Yep. The words have been spoken. Yep. No, no truer words <laughs> have been said, and I'm going to make sure that me and the guys, we donate at least one deer each as long as we have one deer on ourselves. <laughs> Trust me, I understand that. Like I told you, I've been like six years now without a deer. It's like I, I don't even deserve to be in this job right now because I can't seem to harvest a deer. But And I'm going to have a huge moral dilemma when I've got that deer on the ground and I'm thinking, 
holy mm. crap, is this going to be the only one I get for the next six years? Yeah. It's going to be hard to donate it, but I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm going to do it, damn it. Hey, prop, <laughs> props to you for that. Props to you. I mean, is there an option to cut it in half? No. Well, okay. I should say there is. Okay. But the thing is, if you're if 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 a hunter wants to keep any part of their deer, even if it's just that tenderloin or mm -hmm. the back straps, we ask them to pay the processing fee because otherwise there's just no way we could police that. You know, yeah. one person might just want the back straps, the next person might take half of it. Meanwhile, we've paid the bill for that whole processing fee in, in anticipation of that whole deer being donated. So you can keep part of your deer, but then we're going to ask you to pay the processing fee. So that's that's the trade-off there. Well, Randy, there you go. You, you take the backstraps out and just pay for your own processing fee. It'll be worth the hundred bucks. Hundred dollar yeah. backstraps. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, <laughs> they taste like a hundred bucks, Randy. <laughs> it's been awesome talking right. to you. Um, I can't wait till people can Same listen here. to this episode and they enjoy it just as much as I enjoyed chatting with you. Um, yeah, man, it has been a pleasure having you on. Same here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.